We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver, and joining me, as always, Justin Mello. The 2023 NFL Draft is in the books. The Titans made six picks as they had, as we expected them to before the draft. No newly acquired draft capital. One draft day trade in there that we will talk through. Justin, how's it going? Doing well, man. It's it's nice to have the 2023 NFL draft in the books. Uh, Titans made six picks, as you said. That's what they entered the weekend with. Uh, they went all offense, which is certainly something we're going to discuss because uh, I, I find it pretty funny and ironic the way Titans fans have reacted to the overall draft class. But uh, a whole lot to cover here between you and I. That's right. So real quick, just to remind everyone who the Titans picked, I'm going to run through it. Then we'll go pick by pick. We're going to grade every pick and we're going to talk about uh, before we get into it. I want to talk about how the national media and analysts are viewing this Titans draft class and the stark contrast between that and how Titans fans are viewing the class. So first, let me run through the picks. Number 11 overall in the first round, Titans took Northwestern offensive lineman Peter Skaronsky. In the second round, they traded up from their original pick, 41, to get Kentucky quarterback Will Levis at number 33 overall, the second pick of the second round. And they slid back to 81 with their third round pick where they took Tulane running back Tajay Spears. Then the long wait set in between rounds three and five when the Titans picked again at 147, took Cincinnati tight end Josh Wiley. In the sixth round, they came back with Maryland offensive tackle Jalen Duncan at number 186 overall, a guy that we talked a lot about on this podcast because he met with the Titans so many times. I think that was maybe their best value pick, according to the consensus boards. And then finally, they closed the draft in the seventh round at number 228 with Tennessee Martin wide receiver Colton Dowell. They finally took that wide receiver. So all in all, as you said, a draft class full of offense, but because it took them so long to take that wide receiver, Titans fans were freaking out. What were your initial thoughts about the class as a whole before I you know, talk about what some people are saying in the media? Well, I, I thought they got good value at certain spots. Again, you and I are going to talk about that. I, I think they got, obviously, at least one immediate starter, immediate contributor. Then I think they got some foundational pieces for, for 2024 and beyond. The point I sort of alluded to earlier was it's pretty funny. It's pretty ironic that um, the Titans went all offense with this draft class as everybody wanted. Right. I think you and I talked about that possibility, but I do find it funny that they did that. And yet the fan base still uh, largely hates the class. I feel like, right. Or certainly at least one of the picks we, we all know which one we're referring to <laughs> that, that sort of elicited strong reactions, negative reactions from the fan base. And it's also funny that they, they scored so highly right uh, around the league based on these, uh, you know, consensus boards you're talking about. If you read those letter grade pieces uh, that they seem to get great grades all, all around the board. It's pretty funny that that's the case. And the own fan base doesn't like it because typically right. like I was on Twitter all weekend 
um, every fan base loves their draft class. Typically, at least I feel that way, right? You always see the silver lining in it. You always see the value. So it's pretty funny that this one kind of went the other way. Yeah, it's definitely hope season. Every fan base wants to know why their team's draft grade isn't a little bit higher than it is, even if they get an A. Eagles fans are like, why aren't we A++++? You know, like, what is this? So <laughs> Did you see all the how... Georgia guys we drafted? <laughs> that's just how fans react. You know, they see a player and they and they immediately cling to the upside, but not Titans fans because Titans fans were expecting <laughs> a wide receiver very early on, even as high as pick 11, people thought, take Jackson Smith and Jigba there. Um, in the second round, people thought, you know, grab one of these receivers that's slipping into the second round but the titans i think this is about the only way they could come out of the draft with an entirely offense-based draft and still have everyone not a fan of what they did but as far as those consensus boards go so warren sharp put out um his like i guess best value 2023 draft classes and the titans came in sixth and this is based on draft capital over expectations so it's expected capital to be used on a player versus the actual capital used. It's mainly based on pre-draft rankings and mock drafts. So I don't know how much stock you can really put into it because it's just media guessing, but he gave the Titans the sixth highest grade there. The next gen stats draft model, which uses a combination of factors to produce a, a, a draft score for every prospect, including athleticism, production in college size, and their final draft score. The Titans had, according to them, the second best score uh, behind just the Detroit Lions, the average ranking of their top seven picks was an 80, which was the second highest. So if you're just looking at this class as, you know, the draft is a way to bring in talent to your team as much as you can by taking the best player on your board at every single pick, the Titans knocked this draft out of the park. They got tremendous value with nearly every pick that they that they selected. The problem is they didn't necessarily address the holes on this roster. Like, is this team for the 2023 season going to be better? You know, you you add a quarterback that's going to be a backup. You add a running back that's going to be a backup. You add a tight end that's going to open the season at best as your third best tight end on the roster. You add a tackle that's kind of a developmental guy. And then a seventh round receiver. We know the history of receivers drafted that late. You know, they typically don't pan out. So... From that standpoint, it's like the Titans didn't actually get better in this draft class, at least for this season, outside of the Peter Skaronsky pick. You look ahead to 2024 when Will Levis could be your starting quarterback, Tajay Spears could be your starting running back, uh, Josh Wiley could be a, a, you know, a very versatile and vital piece of the offense, Jalen Duncan could earn a starting role by then, and if Colton Dowell pans out a wide receiver, then you have you know a wide receiver three or four that you feel kind of good about. But if those guys don't pan out, then this draft class could be a total wash. I think ultimately what it comes down to is Will Levis. If Will Levis is a franchise quarterback and he's the Titans starter for the next 10 to 12 to 15 years and he gets them to the playoffs you know, on a consistent basis and has them competing for Super Bowls, then it really doesn't matter about the rest of the class. It's a home run draft. If Will Levis doesn't pan out, he, he, you start him and he plays like Malik Willis and the Titans don't win games with him and the rest of the draft class, you know, is just average or maybe above or a little below, then it's kind of a bust of a draft because the Titans really push their chips in with Will Levis here to start what could be a new era. The good news is they didn't have to do it with a high first round pick. So I think let's get into it now. Let's start with Skaronsky. I love the draft pick of Peter Skaronsky at 11 overall. The Titans said in their 
you know, Thursday night presser that they, that Skaronsky was their target all along. He was the top player on their board and they didn't think he was going to get to them at 11. I know there were rumors that the Raiders liked Skaronsky a lot. It was for them. It was between Skaronsky and Witherspoon. They ended up taking Tyree Wilson. Not a lot of people projected Wilson to fall that far. The Bears, some people say the Bears would have taken Skaronsky, although you and I know that to be, you know, more or less false reporting because the Bears were locked in on Darnell Wright from the beginning. The Eagles at 10, who traded up to nine to take Jalen Carter, I think if Jalen Carter had slid or had gone earlier and hadn't been sliding, then the Eagles might have taken Skaronsky because I did hear that they really liked Skaronsky. Um, of course, they might have taken Nolan Smith that high, who they ended up getting at 30 overall. But the point is that there is a scenario where the Titans, you know, could have been right that Skronsky wasn't there, but I think that was like that was pretty expected that he would make it to them. They were worried he wouldn't, but the point is, I said it before the draft. I, I think I was a little bit higher on Skronsky than you were. The just the best technical offensive lineman in this entire draft class. Even if you can't play him at tackle, if he is Zach Martin and you slide him inside and he becomes an All Pro guard, that's you know. A really, I know guard in the first round isn't necessarily the big best value, but the Titans needed one. They needed a versatile piece. If a left tackle gets injured in the middle of a game, you can kick Skaronsky out for a few snaps and, and he can hold his own there. And heck, maybe this guy will be the Titans left tackle. The last time they spent the 11th overall pick on a player, it was Taylor Lewan who was a franchise <laughs> left tackle for a long time. That doesn't mean anything, of course. But I think Skaronsky, you know, despite the short arms, the Titans are going to give him a chance to compete outside if they have to kick him inside you know people are saying he has all pro potential as a guard in this league I love the pick and I think the foundation of any team is building a strong offensive line Rand Carthon Mike Vrabel said it during their Thursday night presser that you know you have to build a foundation you have to be able to win in the trenches and that this team in particular needed to be better protecting their quarterback which is obviously true we've seen it throughout the offseason free agency additions and then their first pick in the draft addressing that area as well so I know not everyone loves the pick because it's not sexy because it's an offensive lineman, but I think Skaronsky, I mean, as much as there is a can't-miss offensive line prospect because that doesn't really exist, I think Skaronsky is the closest thing you can get to that. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I like don't love the pick is the best way I can put it. I don't know that you were higher on him. Maybe you were higher on him to the Titans yeah, than I was. Because I was obviously very high on him as a prospect. I said the same things in terms of how technically advanced he was, a clean prospect. I agree he's as much of a can't-miss as can't-miss gets because you and I both know there's no such thing. Chance Warmack once upon a time was can't-miss, right? Yeah, we we exactly. all remember that. So that, that's that point. Really, I think that's where that point really comes from, right? Titans fans are scarred from calling any offensive line prospect that can't-miss prospect after what happened with Warmack. But um, look, he's going to come in and start immediately. That's very good for them. I do think it'll probably be at left guard. Unsurprisingly, they didn't reveal anything about their plans for him. I, I think they <laughs> said, well, he's going to come in and play offensive line for us, right? <laughs> Shocking. They're not, you know, switching positions to safety, right? But he'll come in and play O-line. It'll be interesting to monitor once we actually have, you know, rookie mini camp and voluntary. Like, where are they actually working him in? And probably right. work him in at both throughout different team periods, left tackle and left guard, I bet that's when it'll become interesting to monitor how he's performing right at those two positions and, and certainly uh, cross monitoring how Andre Dillard is performing right at left tackle when he's in there. Cause that's the competition, right? If it's going to be one at left tackle, it's between Andre Dillard and Peter Skaronsky. Right. I, I they got a plug and play guy, especially on offense where they had so many holes. The value thing is it's always going to be questionable to me, right? Like I probably would have taken Jackson Smith and Jigba 
at 11th overall, in all honesty, if I was the one calling the shots. Then again, he, he did slide to 20th overall, yeah. right? Which kind of insinuates he probably wasn't as high as him um, as we were, for example. Because typically, if, if that's a guy that you passed on at 11 and you made a mistake, oh, damn it, you, you probably should have taken him. He's probably going 12, 13, or 14, right? In, in most yeah. of the, like, even the Jets, who I don't think they need a receiver, but if they are getting rid of Corey Davis and lots of rumors, they probably could have considered him, right? There, there were a couple of teams that I think could have considered him that passed on him, or certainly a team could have traded up for him, right? Like when he went 20th, 21, 22, 23, at like four receivers in a row, right? right. He was the first one. One of those receiver needed team, needy teams, excuse me, could have traded up, right? And taken him at wherever. Um, so obviously the Titans had a much higher grade on Skaronsky than they did on Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, no one had clearly a top 10, top 15 grade on, on JSN. That's at least how it feels based on how the draft played out. I do agree. The whole Bears thing, I found it funny, in all honesty, that something leaked that the Titans were like afraid that the Bears were going to take Peter Skaronsky. Uh, and I can't help but feel like that's just someone leaking information on purpose to sort of prop up the pick of Skaronsky because I knew that the Bears were locked in on Darnell Wright. I knew it since Tuesday or Monday morning. Yeah. So, I mean, if I had that information, I would like to think someone within the Titans organization had that information. And if they didn't, you could probably find my email and reach out to, to me for a job application because uh, the Bears <laughs> were locked in on Darnell Wright. They, they, they really were. I, was very, I, I mean, you can go read my final mock draft. I had Darnell Wright in there. I wrote an article a couple of days before mentioning the Chicago Bears. This is a landing spot for Darnell. Like, this was very obvious if you had sources within the league that the Bears really liked Darnell Wright. So that's neither here nor there. But I, I just can't wait to see where the guy's going to play. Is it at left guard? Is it at left tackle? For me, if it's at guard, there is a value thing to be questioned there. I don't think you ever forget that, right, drafting a, a guard that. What was the next guard, if he does play guard, that was drafted? Right, I have a hard time. Osiris Torrance, I think, Steve went in the second Avila, round. If you count him as a guard instead of a center, went went was the next interior yes. guy at least. So, and that was beginning of the second round, right? Early yep. seconds. So the the gap there, I think, is fairly telling, right? And Steve Avila is probably going to be plug and play, right? Osiris Torrance, I think, is going to be plug and play as well. I think in Buffalo, I believe he went to. He'll probably replace Roger Saffold at left guard. So. The value thing, you, you shouldn't forget about it. You should continue questioning it if he ends up being a guard. I do ultimately, just like I had pre-draft, I think he's going to be a very, very good football player. I do expect him to start for them immediately. It's a colossal disappointment if he doesn't, whether that's tackle or guard. If he doesn't start right away, it's super disappointing. But I think that he will, and I think ultimately you'll say, okay, they got a, a great player overall, one that started immediately. Yeah, and I think for Rand Carthon's first draft, like maybe this is just me reading too much into things, but I think it is important that his the first pick of his first draft is a guy that has a high floor. And Peter Skaronsky was named by PFF as one of the 11 best value picks of the 2023 draft. He ha They noted that he has a really high floor. Even if he has to play guard, he's going to be an addition. And when was the last time the Titans drafted a player in the first round who was a day one, week one starter? I literally can't remember. Was it Marcus Mariota? Like that that might be the last first round pick they had that actually started on day one. Probably because it wasn't Isaiah Wilson. It wasn't no. Caleb Farley. It wasn't Jeffrey Simmons because no. of the injury. It obviously wasn't, uh, who was it last year? Corey Davis or Adoree Jackson. I don't think either. Who did they draft last year in the first round? Christ. Traylon Burks. Yeah, I guess. I mean, 
I don't remember how many snaps he played in week one, but probably wasn't over 50% right. of the snaps. So yeah, I would say for pro- sure it wasn't, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably the first one since Marcus Mariota that'll be a, a, an instant week one starter. So my grade for that pick is an A+. Plus. I love it. I, I, I have no problem with the value because I think his wait, versatility... Wait, sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. Jack Conklin was the year after Mariota. Conklin probably started week mm. one at right tackle. There you go. Yeah, I think that's right. Jack Conklin, yeah. Okay, so an offensive lineman, an offensive tackle. <laughs> a safe um, offensive lineman that they drafted yeah. at the same... Wasn't it around... No, wasn't it? And that was John 11th, Robinson's first draft yes. selection as the general Ninth manager. Ninth or tenth overall, I think. <laughs> eighth. Conklin. They traded up to eight for eighth, him. Eighth, yes. After trading down from number one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, I give this pick an A++. I'm not... I, I have no problem with the value, even if he ends up being a guard, because of the versatility to, in an emergency situation, kick out and play some tackle, because of the fact that he might end up being a tackle. And, you know, Rand Carthon mentioned the short arms thing in his press conference, and he said, I like, he basically said, I know he has shorter arms, but he was a pretty dang good tackle in college, so we're not ruling out that he can play tackle in the NFL. I'm not ruling it out either. I know that, like, that's... it. He's a 7 percentile player for arm length at tackle fourth, i think fourth pff has seven but oh, who knows, whatever four or seven has fourth, I think, yeah. regardless it's not a very big number and uh <laughs> i think that that that's definitely working against him but basically Rand carthon said he was pretty good at blocking guys even with those short arms in college so they're going to give him a chance there and that's why i don't have a problem with the value so give me a plus for peter skronsky definitely the highest grade i have for any pick in this draft I'll go with a B plus if he ends up being what I think he is again, which is a, a very good guard. And uh, but if he is, a, if he does end up being their left tackle of the future, then it's obviously an A plus. Right. All right. Let's move on to the second round where the Titans traded pick forty one, pick seventy one, and next year's third round pick to move up to thirty three overall. They also got eighty one back in that, so they. Moved down in the third round to move up in the second round by giving up next year's third round pick. And they took Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. A lot of people had, you know, the Titans. The Titans trading up with the Cardinals to select a quarterback was one of the most commonly mocked trades. It didn't happen in the first round, but it did happen in the second round. Will Levis, projected first round pick, goes to the Titans at 33. A lot of talk, a lot of reporting that the Titans were trying desperately to trade back up to the back end of the first round with uh, starting with the Bills and and then from down the rest of the first round there, the Titans were trying to get back in and nobody was you know willing to deal because they all liked the players they could take there. The Bills were in love with Dalton Kincaid, so they didn't want to move back. And the Titans end up getting Levis in the second round. The big difference there is, the, you know, it's a it's a quarterback, so you'd like to have cost control for as many years as possible. No fifth-year option for a player drafted in the second round. So with the second pick overall of the second round, the Titans get their quarterback. Um, we've seen recent success of second-round second quarterbacks being, you know, okay or really good from Derek Carr to Jalen Hurts. It's not the, like, a lot of, Starting quarterbacks in the league were drafted in the top five or the top 10, but not all of them. Can Will Levis be that guy for the Titans? As I said at the top, that's what this whole draft hinges on. You know, when we look back at it in in three or four years from now is if Will Levis is that guy, then the Titans scored in this draft. I know a lot of people have their doubts about Will Levis. I think the hate has definitely went way too far during the run up to the draft as, as it sometimes does. You look back at guys like Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, who people in, in before the draft started said, these guys are not going to be good picks. They're not going to pan out as franchise quarterbacks. 
I think some people, you know, the jury's maybe still out on Jalen Hurts after he really has only had one great season. But the Eagles obviously feel like they know what they have because they just made him the highest paid player in NFL history until Lamar Jackson beat that number a few days ago. So obviously there is a chance that Will Levis works out. Is it a great chance? Maybe not. But I think if you're talking about a second round pick, it's worth the swing because if he does pan out, this is a guy that Titans can rely on for years to come. They'll have him under cross control for four years. And I know a lot of people think that he's not going to be good, but the simple matter is we don't freaking know. Nobody knows. <laughs> like this is the biggest crapshoot in all of sports is the NFL draft. And I think taking the chance here on a guy that they met with a guy that they liked a guy who scored really high in the S2 cognition test had, I think he had a 93 grade on that out of a hundred. So really high grade there. His processing ability is okay. His coaching at Kentucky, we know, was was weird at best and bad at worst. Like telling him, "Do not run the ball uh, from the pocket." Like if the if the play is to throw the ball, then you drop back and throw the dang ball, no matter what. I think is kind of weird and maybe contributed to some of his you know pocket presence issues that people have pointed out. Because when you roll the like the B roll tape that they played during the NFL draft of Will Levis, plenty of those plays, and this is obviously like you know, a snapshot of his best plays, but you can see him navigating the pocket. You can see him, see him rolling away from pressure or stepping up and sidestepping in the pocket to give his offensive lineman a chance to, to, you know, give him more time to throw. He has a big arm. He has a quick release. He ran a pro style offense in college. Most of the verbiage is going to stay the same coming to Tennessee. So he should be able to acclimate much quicker than a typical rookie quarterback would. I don't know. I said before the draft, I wouldn't hate it if the Titans took Levis. The fact that they got him in the second round is a huge win and, again, a huge value and another reason the Titans are scoring so highly on these, you know, value grade things. But I don't hate the pick. I know a lot of people do. What are your thoughts? I, I don't hate the pick either, right? I think I was one of Will Levis's biggest fans uh, among the Titans fan base. And I say that loosely because I wasn't crazy high on him, but definitely higher than everyone else, it feels like, when, when you see some of the stuff out there on the timeline. Uh, look, he's got a lot of the traits that that – NFL teams crave at the position. He's big, he's strong-armed, and he's very athletic. I, I don't think people realize how athletic he is, or at least Titans fans don't, because what's everyone doing after they draft him? They, they run to go look up the stats, and they say that he had like minus 200 rushing yards last year or whatever, right? Because college football counts yards you lose uh, due to sacks, right, into your rushing yeah. yards total. And I've mentioned on this show, and, and it was something that was told to me rather privately, but I had no problem reporting it, that he, that he was essentially asked not to run the football last year at Kentucky, right? Under, under uh, I think, R Coach Rich Scangarello, I believe, was the mm -hmm. offensive coordinator last year. You talked about the verbiage, the pro-style offense being the same, initially installed by Liam Cohen, right, who worked with uh, Sean McVay with the Los Angeles Rams. I say this all the time, but Titans offense sort of uh, similar, right, to what McVay runs in L.A. It all comes from the Shanahan offense and, and coaching tree, so it is very similar. That's what he ran at Kentucky in 2021 under Coach Cohen, and, uh, and the verbiage, it's pro style, as you said, and a lot of it will be the same. Gives him a leg up, right, compared to Malik Willis last year, who came in from a totally foreign offense at Liberty and, and, and clearly had some serious struggles. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on, on Willis at all, but I, I will say it's kind of funny that we're having the same conversation because I think last year when we assessed the Titans draft class, the overarching theme was, well, it depends on Malik Willis, and if he pans out, you'll probably feel really good about this class essentially the same thing with Will Levis here. That's, it doesn't really matter because it could go a totally different way, right? It, it, it is what it is, but it's fair to assess it in that manner. No, I, I did like Will Levis more. As I said, big, strong arm, athletic, 
Those are three traits NFL offenses crave nowadays. And you're right. Like we don't know. And I, I don't love it when people pretend like they do and all, especially at quarterback. I myself, maybe I'm just really bad at, scout, at scouting quarterbacks, <laughs> but I think it's a position that you have the hardest time with. Right. And I can point to so many examples. And, and if you're listening to this saying, well, you're an idiot because I've gotten them all right. A, I don't believe you. And B, <laughs> you can just look at the history of the NFL draft lately. Like, uh, you know, you've talked about Jalen Hurts and, um, uh, and Josh Allen. Those are two massive ones. Heck, we didn't really, you brought up Lamar Jackson's contract. Well, he's another one that NFL teams didn't like, and he went all the way, well, I think 31st or 32nd overall. They just got back into the first round to get the fifth-year option. And After say, they well, took you a have, tight end, before a 24-year-old tight end, they drafted ahead of him. been on like four different NFL teams, and they took him <laughs> in the 20s. It's not like yeah. well, the Titans passed on him at 11 for Skaronsky. No, they, they took Hayden Hurst in the 20s, and then came back to get Lamar. Like, you don't know. Right. And, and say what you will about Lamar. And I know he's got his limitations as a passer. He's got an MVP season under his belt. They can be a, 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 and mostly have been a perennial playoff team with him. He's led him to playoff wins like good football player. Right. I think most of us can agree. And I look at like guys that I liked and the NFL uh, did, did like like Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and how wrong we were about them. And Patrick Mahomes, who a lot of people were wrong about and Deshaun. Hell, Mitchell Trubisky going before Watson and Mahomes. Right. And or, yeah. you know, uh, Tua had a good year, but Tua going before Herbert. Like no one liked Herbert coming out of Oregon because he's a projection and he's a quiet leader and he doesn't have the personality. Really damn good quarterback, right? Like he's about yep. he's about to be one of the next highest paid quarterbacks. He's he'll surpass, right? What what Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson just signed, probably this summer when they yeah. sign him to an extension late, later this year. So there are a lot of variables at play, and it's hard. To, it's really hard to predict. It really is, in all honesty. I think back to my pal Joe Marino all the time was a Buffalo Bills fan and absolutely hated the Josh Allen pick. I give him shit every time I talk to him jokingly because he had his hands in his face when they drafted Josh Allen. <laughs> and, and one thing he says all the time now, he goes, where I underrated the Josh Allen pick is if you have all of those traits, right? You're big, you're strong, you're athletic. A lot of times, and look, he's probably, and I've told him this, maybe he's, dr he's drank the Josh Allen Kool-Aid. I don't blame him. I, we probably would too, right? If you're, it, it turned out as good as he did. One of the things that he says he undervalued is the fact that he was willing to put in the work. He's like, I never took that into consideration when I evaluated Josh Allen pre-draft. He had all, it because he had all those rocks. Is he willing to work? And I get the impression that Will Levis is, um, and the S two test says a lot as well. So you hope it goes that way for him. Two story. Uh, this is the one. This is the pick we should spend the most time on because it's a quarterback, right? So yeah. Two stories I'll quickly tell. I don't. The second one I definitely haven't told on this podcast. I may have told the first one, but I don't know for sure if I did. Um, I had an opportunity uh, a few months ago, several months ago now. Uh, one of the best things, one of the most fun things that I've done in my career is I sat down for like two hours with a current NFL scout, and I watched tape on Will Levis with this NFL scout. This NFL scout played in the NFL. He played in the NFL. Very interesting guy. Um, and he said to me, uh, dude, I effing love Will Levis. Like I, I love him. Like I, I, he goes, I've had, I've gone down there to Kentucky. I've watched him in person. I've spent time with him because I played in the league, right? I wish I had Will Levis as my quarterback when I played in the league. Like he goes, I, I just, the, the, the feeling I got when I spent so much time around him as a former player that still has that competitiveness about him is I want to run through an effing brick wall for this guy. That's wow. exactly what he said to me. I want him to be my quarterback. I want him to be my teammate. 
He's like, I, he's like, I can't ignore, you know, some of the things that went wrong in 2022. You can't fully absolve him of blame, even though we think these things of the offense and the weapons, it, it would be sort of uh, negligent to completely absolve him, right? You don't want to make too many excuses. He goes, but I do feel strongly about those things uh, and the environment he was in. And uh, I'm a big fan of him. And the, the second part of this story that I certainly haven't told because it just happened. I interviewed a Kentucky guard uh, a few, uh, about a week ago, right before the draft, Tayshawn Manning who didn't get drafted. He signed a UDFA deal, got some good money in UDFA. Um, and he was their best lineman at Kentucky last year. And by the way, kind of telling, he was their best lineman by far, did not get drafted. I thought he, I had a draftable grade on him personally, but it is what it is, right? When your best lineman doesn't get drafted, it probably is a reflection of, of the shambles the offensive line was in, right? In all honesty. And I get it. The guy's always going to go to bat for his teammate. But I asked him about Will Levis. I said, why? Because I, I, like, I know how this goes. I've been doing this long enough. I'm not going to ask him, is Will Levis the best quarterback in the draft? Because he's going to say yes, right? He played with him. So I just flat out, I cut to the chase. I said, why is Will Levis the best quarterback in the draft? Right. And I thought he went a little above and beyond with his answer saying, you know, I only played with him for a year because he was a guy that transferred to the program. He goes, but um, I can't tell you what we thought of him in our locker room. I can't say enough. He goes, he battled so hard for us. They knew they weren't very good up front. He didn't say that, but I, you know, writing on the wall, right? He goes, the way that he just stood in there tough, took all those hits. He never complained. He got back up. Like, you should go read my interview with Tayshawn Manning, even though he didn't sign with the Titans in UDFA, because it's on the draft network right now, because he gave me a really good answer on Will Levis and, uh, I thought, I thought again, you, you always know a guy is going to go to a bat for his teammate, but I thought he went above and beyond um, mm. when talking about Will Levis, and I really enjoyed his answer. And I, I think back to watching tape with that scout all the time. And I, of course, I'll never reveal what team it was, but I will say it was a team that drafted another quarterback. So that, that scout, I guess maybe that scout didn't get his wish if Will Levis was the guy <laughs> that he wanted, but he really liked him. Um, I, I like Will Levis as well. I'm not going to sit here and say he's definitely going to be their franchise quarterback. I think we spoke to the unknown, but I think it's worth the gamble. And I know we, we said that about Malik Willis. Guess what? It, it still was worth the gamble on Malik because you, you never know. And, uh, but I do think, and this, I don't think this is 2020 or sorry, 2020. I don't think this is revisionist history, but um, I, I do think the elements Will Levis is coming from gives him a way better chance than Malik Willis did, right? Now seeing the struggles with the offense and, 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 and we know what Liberty ran there. We knew it was so foreign. We, we talked all summer. Oh, he's got all the traits, but we know he's such a raw product and the offense, yada, yada. That's not the case with Will Levis at all, right? He's, he's right. coming from a pro-style offense. He's got a lot of experience as a starting quarterback in the SEC, right? In the best con- – it's not like playing at Liberty. It's not the same as playing at Kentucky, right? It's not even damn near the same, so – I like the pick. I, I like it a lot. Um, I don't know. We probably shouldn't get too much into this discussion. I don't think he would be my starting quarterback in 2023. I'd like mm. to surround him with a bit more talent before um, you, you put him into the lineup, throw him into the fire. I will give the pick a B plus. Nice. I disagree with that last comment because I actually think the Titans should start him as soon as possible. And the reason is twofold. Number one, He's only got a four-year contract. He's not your typical five-year deal rookie quarterback where you have that fifth-year option. They need to know sooner than later what they have in Will Levis in order to know if they should go all in in terms of surrounding with talent and spending all the rest of their draft capital and or not draft capital, salary cap, and where do I allocate that draft capital next year? Because let's say you start Will Levis in 2023 and he is as bad or so, you know, about as bad as Malik Willis or just terrible, you know, he just doesn't look like he's the guy. Then you go into 2024 with A, a worse record, so you have a higher draft pick, and B, the knowledge that you still need a franchise quarterback in a draft where there's expected to be two, if not more, 
really good franchise quarterback prospects. Obviously, Caleb Williams, Drake May, but then other guys that could rise up throughout the year. Quinn Ewers, I'll throw out there as I wear my Texas hoodie again this week. Um, of course. <laughs> but I think it's important to know sooner than later if Will Levis is the guy. And number two, yes, the, the supporting cast could be better. And maybe the Titans think they can compete in 2023 for a Super Bowl if they start Ryan Tannehill. But honestly, they didn't do a whole lot this offseason or in this draft that would tell me they they think they are going to be, you know, as good enough to compete for a Super Bowl. The fact that most of this draft class was, you know, guys that they think could be starters in the following year. Talking about Levis, of course, Ty J. Spear, all the guys I ran through who may need a little time to develop or have a guy already on the depth chart in front of them as a clear starter. I think that they might not not necessarily be positioned well to compete in 2023. So why roll Ryan Tannehill out there to win seven to nine games? Or maybe you you know get lucky in a few close games and you're able to win the division, but then you get bounced early in the playoffs because you're just not a great team yet overall. What's the purpose of that? You're just wasting a year of Levis's contract, uh, 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 another year of all the guys on the roster that I guess they're getting older, which I guess you're going to use that year up no matter what, because again, you're probably not competing unless Will Levis comes in in 2023 and is really good as a rookie, which obviously the that's a long shot, but I think it's worth playing him. And, you know, the discussion of what to do with Ryan Tannehill, do you hold on to him for an in-season injury and try to deal him at the trade deadline to a team that could use a quarterback? Do you cut him now for the cap savings so that you can get some money now to go sign a receiver or another offensive lineman? And then, you know, roll that money over to next year. Do you wait till after June 1st to cut him so that the savings this year are higher, but next year you pay them bigger dead cap? Like, I think that's an interesting discussion we can get into later in the offseason. I don't think Tannehill's going anywhere right away. I think if anything, if they do decide to move on from him, they will continue to explore trade options, especially considering that as we sit here today, the 2024 draft, the Titans are already down three picks from trades that they've made already. The third rounder went to Will Levis, the fifth rounder went for Dennis Daly, and the sixth rounder went for Ugo Amadi. So thanks a lot, John Robinson. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who they cut like a few weeks later. (laughs) So that was a really good use of resources. I also think, you know, you can always get more future draft picks by trading more future draft picks. So like there's an infinite number of future picks you can just trade for more. So like if we get into next year's draft and the Titans really want a third rounder, just trade the 2025 third rounder for the 20 for 2024 or 2025 second rounder for a 2025 (laughs) third, 2024 third rounder. And then in 2024, trade the 2026, like 2025, you trade the next, you just keep trading the next year's picks for the current year's picks, right? Until time ends i don't think there's that's not a flawed strategy right um but anyway my point is get will levis get, get him on the field so you know if he's your guy right away and then figure out what to do with Tannehill. i think the best move is probably to hold on to him until like a trade opportunity arises because somebody's quarterback goes down but that's a future discussion i think yeah i'm not gonna push too hard back um even though we, we disagree on this i, I think people are overplaying or Titans fans are overplaying the you waste a year of the four-year contract. You don't have the fifth year option. I get that. Like, I'm not saying it's not a thing at all, but I think it's slightly overcomplicating matters because I think ultimately sometimes teams keep it simpler than fans do. And if Will Levis is a franchise quarterback, the Titans won't give a shit that they have to sign him <laughs> to a bigger contract one year earlier. They're just going to be so effing happy that they have a franchise quarterback. Like, sure, maybe one, you know, oh, you know, one of those years, maybe we could have surrounded him with a better supporting cast and we missed a bit of a window. But the overarching theme is going to be we have a franchise quarterback. We are very thrilled to make him the highest paid quarterback of all time or one of the high, like that's what's going to matter to them. And I think part of that is, 
you, yeah, you want to find that out sooner rather than later. I do get that. But number one, if you don't find that out this year and you're in a position to take Caleb Williams next year, I think you're still going to take Caleb Williams next year. Okay. Right. That's sort of my thinking on that. Number one. And number two, I think you'll have a pretty decent idea on him. Of course, in-game reps always helps, but you'll get a decent idea from what you see every single day in practice, how he shows up, how he's prepared. Is he taking steps forward? Uh, how he'll perform in the preseason. Maybe Tannehill goes down at some point again, and you yeah. get him to start one, two or three games. So yes, the in-game reps matter. I'm not saying they don't, but I think going into 2024, I think you'll have a decent idea on the person and what you saw. Like we, we forget about practice. They learn so much every day in practice from who these players are and how they're trending yes again the live game reps help but they'll know a lot about will levis even before he gets into an nfl game and last but not least you want to do a better job protecting him than you did will uh, malik willis to the degree of the supporting cast if you feel good about him even though he didn't play a ton of games uh you feel good about him you go into 2024 with a hundred million dollars in cap space uh, you know what? Before I, I, I threw him into the fire and he was playing behind a bad left guard or a bad left, a bad right tackle, whatever it is, bad wide receivers, which is probably w- would be the case this year, especially. I, I, I felt good about him. I'm getting him in now. I'm going to give him a chance immediately to hit the ground running as a sophomore. Yes, it's the second year of his contract. You know what? That still gives me three years with him at my, as my starting quarterback on a low cost. You know what? I can do contracts in free agency, high price deals that I can get out of after two or three years because that's when we're going to have to increase our cap. You can still take advantage of that rookie deal for three years, even if he doesn't yeah. play in his first year. Three years. And guess what? You're going into the offseason with a lot of cap space when he's going into his second year. So I still think even though you waste the first year, you don't have the fifth year option, you still have like three opportunities, I think, to take advantage of the rookie deal, surround them with a supporting cast that lines up well with when you're going to have the cap space going into that second year. For me, I get your argument. I'm not totally shooting it down because there is merit in finding out before 2024. And yes, it is wasting 25% of his rookie contract. I, I put wasting in air quotes. All of that is true, um, but I think there's more merit in making sure sit him you've got the right guy and then when you're ready to make him your starter in 2024 you it's putting him in a good like I think of when the Houston Texans drafted uh David Carr and he was the most sacked quarterback of all time and how that was doomed from the very beginning right that stuff still I think of Aaron Rodgers sitting I know it's old school Patrick Mahomes sitting for a year waiting to get them in a good situation for if I was a decision maker, I get both sides of the coin here, but I think I would make Will Levis my starter in 2024. Yeah. And I get your argument as well too. And I think the ultimate thing it comes down for to me is like, is there a purpose to running Ryan Tannehill out there again? If you know, you're not going to win the Super Bowl this year, or maybe they think they can, and maybe that's why they do it. But all of that TBD really quick. I want to, I know we need to move on here because we've spent a lot of time on Levis, but I do think it's important to spend time here. I want to talk about some of the reasons he might not pan out really quick with you here. If you want to give me some of the negatives on his scouting report or things that he needs to work on in order to become a successful NFL quarterback, what is at the top of your list? Well, I think decision-making, right, with with the amount of interceptions he's thrown in the last two years, I think it was like 23 or 24 
Uh, even the year that he had a, a better ideal structure in 2021, where he had, you know, Wendell Robinson at receiver, some better weapons, a better offensive coordinator in Liam Cohen, a uh, better offensive line. I think he still threw 10 interceptions, I think it was, in 2021. So I, I think decision-making is a big one. Consistent accuracy. Uh, you'd like to, I think, in ball placement, you'd like to see, to see be a bit more consistent. And then uh, this is another big reason I'm an advocate for sitting him, and I, I'm glad I get to bring it up now because I didn't bring it up in my last point, is – I, I think Kentucky hurt him with that O-line up front a little bit, right? And I'm not so convinced that the Titans' O-line is above average right now. Even with everything they've gotten, i still got major questions at left tackle. I've got a major question at center. I've got a major question at right tackle with Petit Friere. And in all honesty, even at right guard, like I think Daniel Brunskill will be okay, but I don't think he's going to be outstanding. So with the questions I still have on the O-line – you saw him develop a case of, I don't want to just call it happy feet, but where you're seeing ghosts in the pocket at Kentucky because you're getting hit so often. I don't want that same thing to happen to him in year one with Tennessee. I think by 2024, certainly after another offseason, another draft, you'll feel better about the standing of the offensive line than I do right now. Um, so those are some of the things I, I don't want to waste him behind a, a lackluster O-line. And I'd like to see better decision-making and accuracy out of him. Right. And when it comes to the pros, though, he, like we mentioned earlier, has all the traits that any successful franchise quarterback has. He's got a big arm. He's got a quick release. He could work, stand to work on his accuracy, but a lot of his throws are, are still pretty accurate. He can throw the long ball really well, and he's not afraid to throw it up and give his guys a chance downfield to make a play on the ball, which I think is an important trait, you know, that someone like Marcus Mariota never really dis- demonstrated is like let your playmakers go make a play when they have single coverage and things like that. And of course the pro style offense is huge. The athleticism is there and the S2 cognition score 93 is pretty good. And I, I hate to use this comparison because it's a little too extreme and everyone's going to freak out, but could Will Levis's ceiling in, in what, for what reason would Will Levis's ceiling not be in the realm of Josh Allen in that, in that kind of tier of quarterback, because he's got an nearly the same athleticism. I, if you watch some of the runs that he, when he was running the ball in college, he's got this hurdle move that he, like he rips this oh, yeah. move out more often than you would expect from a, your, you know, your starting quarterback to do, but he's hurdling defenders left and right. He looks like when he makes these plays, he looks like Josh Allen running the ball. He's got the big arm. Josh Allen reportedly scored a mid nineties S two test score as well. Will Levis in the same range. Like I, as crazy as it is to like compare a rookie to, you know, the biggest project quarterback that worked out in NFL <laughs> history, like it's in, it's within the realm of possibility. And if you look at what Albert Breer was reporting on Friday and Saturday on Friday, he had an article come out about why Will Levis slid and why it wasn't that big of a deal for him to slide. And then he had another article um, come out after the Titans picked him talking about the Titans process. I mean, it was really a blurb and a longer piece, but I'm, I want to read this excerpt for everybody. Um, as for Levis, he had his best pre-draft meeting with Mike Vrabel and how the t- how Tennessee asked Levis to bring in cut-ups of his best and worst plays for his 30 visit. This is Breer speaking. I'd add, too, that he because he wasn't a first-round pick, and he easily could have been, with the Titans having worked on a deal to go up to 27 with Buffalo late Thursday night, he might get a little more patience than he would in another circumstance, which could really help. The Titans aren't married to him. They could easily take another quarterback next year and thus can take their time with him, not that Vrabel would rush a rookie quarterback out there anyway. So this whole idea that he was asked to bring in cut-ups of his worst plays and that Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon sat there and asked him to explain why this play happened, what went wrong, and how we can improve from it, 
A, the fact that he's willing to make a cut up of his own worst plays as he goes to what is essentially a job interview. Imagine going to a job interview and the thing they're going to ask you is tell me all the times you fucked up at your last job and why you fucked up and and what you're going to do better next time. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. Like, you you would want to cover up the things that you were worst at. You would want to make... You wouldn't want to just reveal that to your potential next employer as you're trying to sell yourself on why they should take you or hire you or draft you. So the fact that he did that, it shows humility. It shows the willingness to want to be better. And I think, you know, when you talk about, like you said, his teammates, the way his teammates talk about him, the way this scout talked about him, like he has all the traits that should give you hope that he at least can make the jump and do what, you know, the Titans will hope that he can be in being becoming a franchise quarterback. And I think that, if you're still a person out there that hates this pick, like, look, I get it if you would have hated the pick at 11 or especially in a trade up to three scenario, then sure, that might seem like a huge reach given the the value of, you know, a guy who has this kind of risk that Will Levis has and what tape he put out in 2022 and all of that. But the fact that you get him in the second round, it substantially lowers your investment in this guy and thus lowers the risk that... You know, if he doesn't work out, you're not setting your franchise back three to four, five years. You know, you didn't trade up like the Trey Lance trade with the Niners where you give up all that draft capital to go get a guy who's not even going to be your starting quarterback. And the Niners got lucky that they found a seventh round pick that can, you know, do the same, fill the same role so that essentially they don't miss out on having a franchise quarterback despite giving up all that capital and missing on a guy. The Titans didn't have to give up that kind of capital. They didn't have to make that kind of investment. So the fact that you get a guy who could have been a first-round pick, who they tried to trade back up for into the end of the first round, Lamar Jackson style like the Ravens did. So if you are if you don't like the pick because, you know, you don't like Will Levis pre-draft, like at least you should be able to see that there is a path to success here and the fact that you invest a second rounder instead of a first rounder or a first rounder plus next year and next year's first rounders like the upside is there and and I think you should be a little hopeful. So my grade is going to be a B plus because I think, you know, we all have our concerns about Will Levis, but I think it's worth the risk. And so it's a pretty good pick. If you really wanted to compete in 2023, you probably would have drafted a receiver or a cornerback. But, you know, the best thing for the next 10 years of this franchise might have been to take Will Levis. So B plus. So we agreed on the B plus grade. The, the last thing I'll add to the Will Levis conversation is I liked what you said about the Josh Allen thing. What's the pushback on that? You said it as well. We know is a bit of an outlier, um, but I also don't know that he was as raw as Allen was. And Allen played at Wyoming, right? That's another important point here versus playing in the SEC at Kentucky. The one thing I want, uh, I want to add to this conversation is it's, it, it's pissed me off a little and, and driven me a little nuts that there are people on Twitter. I've seen so much of it saying, well, his ceiling is Ryan Tannehill. Like, what's the point of that? You want it to get better. Why would you just take another Ryan Tannehill? It is nuts to put like a ceiling and expectations on a quarterback pick, especially when saying, oh, like his ceiling is like the 17th best quarterback in the NFL or the eight. Like, there's no way you should be able to say that with any sort of conviction. And as you feel you can, you're wrong. Like, right. I get it if you're talking about like Stetson Bennett coming out of Georgia and you hate the pick. Right. Or the Packers took that the quarterback, Sean Clifford from Penn State, who's terrible. Like, I, I can get it if you're going to look at those guys and be like, this was a silly pick or this is what the limitations are, the ceiling. You can't say that with Will Levis because there aren't there, he doesn't have those athletic limitations. He's not small. Quarter, he's not short. He doesn't have a weak arm, a noodle for an arm. Like 
You should not be saying those things with comfortability uh, about Will Levis. Can he be better than Ryan Tannehill? Absolutely he can. Will he be? We don't know. The results will ultimately determine that. Right. And I think, you know, last point on Levis, he landed in a great spot for him. And I think his his college experience in the, in the offense that he ran there is heavy play action based, a lot of under center stuff, long play calls, West Coast style, like we talked about. I think that's a perfect fit, even if, you know, he sits under Ryan Tannehill or take, takes over for 2023. Either way, getting him in an offense where he can, you know, rely on play action to help open things downfield for him, make the reads a little bit easier, especially for a guy who's going to need to work on his decision making having Derrick Henry in the backfield to hand it off to and of course you wish the receivers he was throwing to are better but I don't think it's a terrible situation and I think the offense the Titans run is a great fit for what Levis has shown he can do in college and that's that's the end of it I think you know we'll time will tell if it was a good pick but as far as the process goes which I think is all we can really evaluate right now this is a good process for potentially finding your next franchise quarterback. All right, let's pick up the pace a little bit. Let's move on here and talk about Ty J Spears. This is the most head-scratching pick, I think, for the Titans from a value standpoint, especially, you know, Rand Carthon coming from the 49ers where they famously have not placed a super high draft value on running backs. They take them, feels like they take running backs every year. They even made a joke when they, Kyle Shanahan called Jake Moody, the kicker they drafted in the third round and made a joke about how it wasn't a running back. But anyway, the point is, the, the Niners culturally have kind of been like, we can take a running back in the sixth round like Elijah Mitchell and make him a starter. We don't need to invest high draft picks in them, although they did take Trey Sermon pretty high last, uh, two years ago, I guess. Um, but anyway, they take Tajay Spears. They also, sorry, they also took Tyrion Davis-Price in the third round last year out of LSU, oh, another right. running back. <laughs> and I want to say, if you go back to Kyle Shanahan's first year in charge, they took another third round running back that no one ever heard from <laughs> in the league. So they've actually, in all honesty, in San Francisco, they've wasted a lot of draft cap, at least three, I think, third round picks on running backs that absolutely suck. Interesting. Well, the Titans do need a running back of the future, um, sort of the same way they need a quarterback of the future with Derrick Henry in the last year of his contract. So take a chance on a guy who is an extremely explosive player, lots of force missed tackles last year, was basically the engine of the two-lane offense that was uh, that beat USC in the, what was it, the Cotton or whatever bowl game they played like they beat USC in a bowl game last year because Ty J Spears had 200 something rushing yards and four touchdowns in that game so extremely productive player game like a playmaking guy the question for me a the value of taking a running back in the third round when you still when your receiver depth chart looks the way it does and b the obvious injury history multiple torn ACLs arthritis in a knee no ACL apparently I don't even understand how that's a thing in one of his knees but the Titans were asked about the medical concerns, and they said, our doctors looked at him. We have no concerns. So he, Tajay said he's talked to Frank Gore, who famously played without an ACL, I guess, or with arthritis or something like that, about how to stay healthy for his career. So you just have to hope the guy can stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be an immense boon to this offense because he can catch passes really well. out of the, He's a great receiver out of the backfield, which the Titans, you know, we keep talking about how they've been missing that element. Dontrell Hillier did it to some extent, but I think if Spears pans out, it's going to help a lot, but he's got to stay healthy. And that's where I think the question marks come in. I'm right with you on this to the point where I'm down the middle because a, I question the value of a running back in the third round when you still have Derrick Henry on the roster and you still plan on relying on Derrick Henry and B it, it slightly goes back to the Levis Tannehill discussion where it's like, well, are you in on 2023 or are you out? 
Because if you're in, you probably should be drafting guys that are going to be more so immediate contributors at receiver, for example. Or are you out? Then you should be releasing potentially or trading Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and playing guys like Will Levis and Tajay Spears. I get that part of the discussion for sure. I, the only I do think people are slightly underrating the impact Spears can have on this offense in 2023, even with Henry on the roster, because he is a dynamic pass catcher coming out of the backfield. All, in all honesty, this is a makeup for the failed Darrington Evans pick to a degree, right? You hope he is what you wanted Darrington Evans to be, which is that electric change of pace back to Derrick Henry can come in and catch passes. It does bother me no one's brought up Hassan Haskins in this conversation <laughs> at all because they drafted a fourth-round running back last year after drafting Evans in the third round, and now a third-round back again here in Tajay Spears. So you've used a lot of draft capital on running backs to a degree while having Derrick Henry on your roster, right? So that, that does bother me. The medicals do bother me a little bit. But uh, I get it. You have to analyze the information you have. But it's almost it almost made me chuckle because people are talking about him like he didn't play 14 games last year, have 229 carries at Tulane, nearly six, uh, 1,600 rushing yards and 22 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. Right? Like he played a lot. He played every game for Tulane last year. He wasn't hurt. He was productive. Um, I get it. The ACLs arthritis a pick on a running back when you still have Henry and probably plan to lean on him heavily. It does scare me. We'll see how it pans out, uh, but I do think he'll make some dynamic plays for them this year. And I think the other argument there is that maybe his long-term medical outlook in the NFL isn't great, but he's a running back. So how long are you expecting him to play at a high level anyway? Five to six years, right? You might not want to give him a second contract even, like most teams don't anyways for running backs. So then what would you grade this pick? I'm split between a C plus and a B minus in all honesty, because I I go like C plus because of the value of uh, running back and Derrick Henry and passing on receivers and the medicals. I go B minus because I'm like, wait a minute, didn't I really, really like this football player? Like, did we not all watch him at the senior bowl and go, oh my God, this guy is so explosive and dynamic and he can do some freaky things on the field. Like, I do think he's going to help them this year. And, And I think people are underrating that part. No one's talking about that. He's yeah. going to help them. He's going to be on the field. He's going to catch balls. He's going to make a couple plays that we're going to see on Twitter. Be like, oh my God, look at what Tajay Spears just did. So I also interviewed him a few weeks ago and I really liked him. He's got a confidence swagger about like very, very, he's a running back, man. He's confident. He's got a lot of swagger. He opened up to me about the injury. He's got no problem discussing it, where it's at, the history, medicals, all that. He's an interesting kid. I think he's going to help them. I'm still split between a B minus and C plus. Yeah, I think I'll go C plus too for all the reasons you mentioned and the biggest being like the the long-term outlook concerns and the running back value when you have Derrick Henry and and honestly when you have Dontrell Hilliard because let's not forget Dontrell Hilliard was pretty effective when he was well, on the field last year. He's a free agent though, I think Hilliard. Yeah, true and they and they didn't really make a move there. So that makes sense, I guess. Um I like the pick from a acquiring talent standpoint. I don't love it from a, an addressing needs standpoint. This draft for the Titans was all about acquiring talent and taking the best player at the top of their board and not about addressing needs. And ultimately, when you look at the NFL draft and the and the best way to build a team, addressing needs through the draft usually ends up not working out very well because for multiple reasons. Number one, you don't know that the player you're taking is going to be good. So if you try to address a need with a complete unknown you could end up in a really bad situation where you, A, don't address the need and don't add talent because you took a player that was, you know, wrongly evaluated and ends up not helping your team out. And B, because the draft is about planning for the future. You know, a lot of these guys take a year or two to acclimate to the NFL. You're not going to see the best version of them as a rookie anyway. So why are you trying to fill a big need with a guy that's going to take a second to get used to playing up to speed at the NFL? You know, outside of Skaronsky, I don't think any of these guys are going to be day one starters. They could be day one contributors. Spears could be your third down back from the, from the get go, but not day one starters. So I think 
The whole point of free agency is to fill your needs and position yourself in the draft to be able to take best player available. So the Titans' failure to add a receiver isn't as much in the draft as it is in free agency when it was a pretty poor free agent class of receivers. Could they have taken a flyer on a $4 million a year guy? They probably should have, and they didn't. But there is still time between now and September to address that position. I think we're going to pause the draft talk here because we're halfway through and get into our beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. And my beef of the week, number one, is the Titans failing to address wide receiver. But I'm going to I'm gonna reserve it to in free agency because, yeah, they should have taken a receiver high in this draft, maybe, or that guy could have been another Taewon Taylor, a third-round receiver who is terrible. You know, like, you don't know how the draft's going to pan out, and that's why I say all what I just said. But the fact that they put went into the draft with such a hole at receiver and put, could have potentially pigeonholed themselves into needing to take one or coming out of this draft without taking one until the seventh round, you have the whole fan base wondering what is the plan at receiver. That's where my beef comes from. Yeah, I agree. And it'll be very interesting to see how they address the position. But I think that's a good beef of the week. Uh, you brought up Taewon Taylor. My God, taking a shot at our pal Mike Herndon right here <laughs> on the podcast. It's unbelievable of you. Uh, no, um. Where I'm concerned and why I think this is an appropriate beef of the week, Rand Carthon was on a local radio earlier this morning. I can't recall what show it was, but our, our buddy F-Words Pod, Zach, brought it to our attention. Uh, and they asked him about a dressing receiver, and he said there are lots of ways to do it. He said there's another league that's coming to an end right now. Yeah. I guess he's referring to, like, the XFL. And I was like, oh, dear God. Like, if he thinks he could address this position with – uh, one of those XFL standout performers, like maybe you get a receiver four or five, but I'd be pretty stunned if you found a receiver two that's just playing in the XFL right now. I think my biggest concern is they don't have a lot of options, right? right. Like there's been a lot of talk about Corey Davis. Sign me up. If Corey Davis becomes available, I'm not going to lie. You talked about them not competing in 2023. I still wouldn't think they could win a Super Bowl. But in all honesty, if you get Corey Davis on this team as your receiver two, I do think all of a sudden, wow, I look around and I'm like, Okay, you know, they got a little better on the O-line. You got legit two receivers. You got some tight ends you could use. You got some running backs you can use. This could be a pretty decent, you know, a half-decent offense with a really good defense. Uh, they are a 10-win team that can win the division. If they can upgrade that this spot, if you get a Corey Davis, you get a DeAndre Hopkins, uh, all of a sudden, I do think they can compete for a, the postseason. Uh, again, I still don't think they're good enough, you know, to win the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong, but you're talking about a playoff team uh, that can go on and win a playoff game and things of that nature. I would feel good about that if they upgrade this spot. That's mainly why right now it's my beef of the week because upgrading that spot and not upgrading that spot to me makes a very large difference with how good I think or how competitive I should say the 2023 Titans could be. So not addressing receiver, I, I, I still cannot believe you would have told me at the beginning of free agency, the only receiver they would sign would be Chris Moore, and then they wouldn't draft one until the seventh round, right? It really is pretty stunning based on how this thing has gone. Certainly it hasn't gone how we thought it would. Uh, it's an appropriate beef of the week, especially now that the draft has reached its conclusion. Uh, beef of the week, not addressing receiver. Yeah, I'm with you there. So those are probably the options that you mentioned. I mean, maybe they maybe they work out a trade with the Broncos for Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton, but I think the asking price is going to be way too high. Apparently, the report is the Broncos want a first for Judy, a second for Sutton. We mentioned it at the top. The Titans already don't have a third, fifth, and sixth in next year's draft. So are they going to give up another pick, especially a day one or two pick, to get a receiver that may not acclimate right away or Jerry Judy's had a lot of injury troubles like this could be that and could be a problem are they going to trade a second or, or a fourth because they don't have a third for DeAndre Hopkins a guy who's you know they've they've been down the trade for an older 
future Hall of Fame prone. receiver before injury prone guy who had a six game suspension last year for PED use. And he's probably not using those, whatever, even whether or not he knew he was taking illegal substances, like whatever supplement he was taking was helping him and he's not taking it anymore. So that's a potentially an issue. Um, you know, so is that the best option? Are the bucks going to part ways with Mike Evans? Do you give no. up a second rounder for an, another 30 plus year old wide receiver? Like, those are your options. It's it's add a, a veteran who is older or pay a really high price for a younger injury-prone veteran, or you hope Corey Davis gets released by the Jets and that he has any interest in a reunion here after he was... Remember him, him being benched at the end of a, the playoff game when the Titans lost to the Ravens in Nashville the, the his last year in Tennessee. So I don't know if that's... And, and then they didn't make him a contract offer, right? I think right. he hit free agency a few months later. That was John Robinson, obviously. You hope it's different. But I will say, that's why I don't think that DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Jerry... First of all, I've looked into the Mike Evans contract. There, people, There's no chance Mike Evans is getting traded. It actually doesn't make financial sense for them to trade Mike Evans. Um, and, and you talked about the lack of draft capital. That's why I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is realistic. You've already traded three and Ryan Tannehill and free agency and all that money in cap space. You probably want to hold on to your picks, right? Especially the, going back to the quarterback thing we, we discussed, potentially in the market for a quarterback, depending on where you're drafting. So, uh, no, I don't think they're going to trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Your best bet is it is going to be, a, honest, in all honesty, a veteran receiver that's going to be released between here and September. I honestly think Corey Davis is the best case scenario. Uh, it might be a guy like, I, I think of how Josh Reynolds contributed in Detroit down the stretch that year after the Titans released them, ironically enough, right? Like, it's probably going to be a, a guy like that, in all honesty, like a, a, a you know, a, a receiver that's played four or five decent years in the league. A team, they're up against the cap. They've got too many bodies at receiver. It's going to be someone like that. Corey Davis is probably best case scenario. Yeah, and the Titans did say they would continue to explore the the you know free agent market as it as things become available and the the possibility for trades. I look at a guy like Cedric Wilson Jr. Uh, with the Dolphins, who had you know started his career with the Cowboys and then signed with the Dolphins before in free agency before last season didn't really contribute much if at all and then you know the Dolphins have Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, they signed Braxton Berrios, they signed chosen Robbie Anderson. They have a, a pretty you know stocked room of receivers. Could they be interested in parting way you know a seventh round pick for Cedric Wilson? Maybe it's either a fourth or a seventh, or you're looking at 2025 draft capital because the Titans don't have the 2024 capital to make that move. But they did say they would continue to explore the trade market. So. There's a chance there. Is Derek? Do you send Derek Henry off for a receiver? Would any team be willing to do that? I don't know. Would the Bills send Gabe Davis for Derek Henry? Like, is that something that could happen? All the options are on the table, but you know they're slim. All those options are slim. <laughs> they are. That's why it's our beef of the week. So anyway, let's move on here. We got a lot of draft stuff to still talk about. Let's get to the four, the fourth pick of the draft, the fifth round draft pick, Josh Wiley. Tight end out of Cincinnati. He's a six foot six athletic monster. He's a guy that, you know, has ball skills and has blocking ability. What do you make of this pick? I like it mainly because I thought he perfectly fits right in between Chigokwankwo and Trayvon Wesco, right? Like he's probably a bit of a better blocker than a Kwankwo. He's certainly bigger than he is, right? So a little bit more a natural playing uh, attached to the line of scrimmage, but he's not like a, a Y type like Trayvon Wesco that doesn't offer much pass catching ability. So I liked the way they struck, I think they struck the right chord in the balance within the tight end room with this pick, right? He's the perfect in between. He's big, he's athletic. He could play on the line of scrimmage a little. Um, I think it's a good pick. He comes from a pro style offense with the Cincinnati Bearcats. One Mike Vrabel knows very well, obviously due to all his, you know, 
previous connections to the program. That program's always churning out pro-ready guys, right? In my opinion, on both sides of the ball, especially yeah. since Fickle had been there. Um, I, I like to pick a lot. I think he's going to come in and play for them. I think he'll be their number three tight end, like you said, mainly because Wesco will handle all those blocking duties, which probably means we underrate how often Wesco will be on the field. He probably plays 35, 40% of snaps weekly, right? Wesco does. He's the new Jeff Swain, where Jeff Swain was playing 35, 40% of snaps, right? So that's what he's going to do. But that gives a chance for Wiley to come in, play, you know, maybe 15, 20, 25% of snaps uh, once he gets fully acclimated. I like the pick. I think he completes their tight end transformation. Yeah, and he's an underrated red zone threat as well. If you watch some of his tapes or some of his highlights, like they throw him fade balls in the end zone at Cincinnati and he goes up and gets the ball. He's got, like I said, he's got great ball skills. One of the best catches on his tape is a a throw that was way behind him where he reaches back with one hand and snags it out of the air. Like I think he's going to be a guy that is underrated in terms of his ability. You know, the Titans under Mike Vrabel have always had this offense where they get in the red zone and they either give it to Derrick Henry or maybe Ryan Tannehill runs it in. Or the third option is a pass to a random player on the field that you never expect <laughs> to be Michael the guy catching it. Or Jeff Swaim. Yep. Or, and now it could, you know, be this guy, Josh Wiley. So I give this pick combination of value and need. I think here they finally hit on both, which is something they didn't do much. They did it with the first pick in Skronsky, and then I think this is the next pick where they really hit value and need combined. So I, I give it an A-. minus. I think it's a great pick, but you know they still didn't go receiver. A.T. Perry was on the board. That's the only reason it's an A- minus and not an A, is uh, they had a bigger need that they still refused to address, but I think it's a, a good pick overall, and a player that will be a, a high-level contributor for this team, if not in 2023, at least starting 2024 going forward. Yeah, that's a good. I'm going to go a little lower than you because it's, it's a day three tight end, but I and I, I I want to see how much he plays. I imagine it won't be a ton early on. Uh, but hey, you, we talked about him being a big athletic pass catcher. If they don't address receiver and they're looking for playmakers to make plays in the passing game, that's his path to snaps, right? That's his opportunity. I, I do like uh, a lot of the elements here. I'm going to give it a strong B. Again, I like the pro style uh, aspect of it, the offense he comes from. I like that. I think it strikes the right balance. He's right in between, I think, a Quanco and Wesco. So I, I do really like the pick. I'll give it a strong B. All right, let's talk about their second-to-last selection here. Maryland offensive tackle Jalen Duncan, another high-level athlete who the Titans met with at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, at they had him in for a top 30. Like we, The Titans were extremely connected. We talked about it a lot on this podcast. I know there were people on Titans Twitter who said, if there's one guy I'm confident the Titans are going to draft in this year's class, it's, uh, it's this guy, Jalen Duncan, because the Titans have shown so much interest and they have a need. He slid all the way to the sixth round. Early, early mock drafts had him as a late first rounder, early second rounder. Throughout the process, we kind of heard less and less about him. You mentioned it when we continued to talk in the ramp up to the draft about how he maybe wasn't going to go as high as we initially thought. But to get him in the sixth round, does he have a lot to work on? Yes. Does he, is he a little, you know, is he extremely susceptible, I'll put it, to power rush? rushers yes he needs to to get a lot better in in his past set and his base but i think that with a year to develop you know no expectations coming in as a sixth round pick can he be your swing tackle starting in 2024 can he work his way into a starting job if nicholas petit frere proves to continue to be a liability on the right side i think there's a path to that success and even if he is only ever as good as being a swing tackle. If he's a high-level swing tackle that can move back and forth, play both sides, and be an athlete and not be a detriment to the offense when he comes in, it's a good pick. You know, ultimately, it's six-rounder. If your six-rounder even makes the roster in two years, it's a good pick. So I think I would give this pick an A for the combination of value and the fact that 
he's an athlete that they you know he's a guy that they liked they said they really enjoyed his top the top 30 visit with him that they love the person that he is and that they talk to the Maryland coach and that they get that person to come in here then he can be successful so I love the pick they passed on a receiver again but I'm still giving this one an A well I was fairly surprised he was on the board at at that point I I didn't think he was going to go as high as people thought like you know second round mock drafts and things of that nature um, based on some stuff I heard, uh, just sort of speaking with scouts and stuff around the league based on what, you know, what grades they had on him. But he was by far the highest ranked player on my board uh, when they took him. And I'll say this, and it, it's kind of cheap, but all those consensus boards ranking the Titans so highly, in all honesty, this is probably why. Because I bet most consensus boards had him in the top 100 and were sort of blindsided that he went as late as he did. I love the pick. Um, I thought... It, like I said, I remember, you know, working at the draft network, going back to like September, November, like there were a lot of places that still had him as a potential first round pick, right? It's, certainly going into the year, he was viewed as one of those guys like, wow, if he has a good year, he's going to be a first round guy, right? And the year wasn't as good as you hoped it to be, obviously. Um, he, I think he's matured a lot as a human being, as a person lately. I believe he's a father and that was a, a life-changing experience for him. I do really like the pick. I think he's got a great chance to make the roster. Like if Skaronsky's not a tackle, I don't know who their swing tackle is, right? Because they got a lot of, you know, Dylan Radins is not healthy right now at this late season injury. Uh, Jamarco Jones is a guard. Corey Levin's an interior player. Like, he's got a chance to maybe come in. Like, if Dylan Radins starts on the pup, for example, and, and Peter Skaronsky's a guard, he's got a chance to earn that 53-man roster spot as the swing tackle. Right. So I think that's that's his pass to snaps. That's the opportunity for him. Uh, I think there's a, a you know, he's a sixth round pick. I think there's a pretty good chance he'll be on Tennessee's opening day roster. I give it an A. Yeah. Nice. All right. And their final pick in the draft, seventh rounder, they took Colton Dowell, UT Martin, small school guy who is, I think, their all time leading receiver, maybe. Um <laughs> He had a huge game against Tennessee, like seven catches for 112 yards or something like that. He he's a high level athlete. He's like a four four guy at six foot two and a half. He's a big fast receiver. Play on the outside. Can he come in and actually be a contributor? Well, with the receiver room looking like it is, I would say yes. You know, normally I wouldn't think a seventh round wide receiver would have any shot to make an impact, but you know, Racy McMath was a sixth rounder. He's hung around. He hasn't done a whole lot, but he's hung around on the roster for a few years. Um, Mike Vrabel did say that this is an inflection point in his career and that if he doesn't put it together this year, you know, he's not, he's going to be on the streets starting next year. But I am, I am all on board with them finally taking a receiver. I had never heard of this guy before the draft, but after reading about him since then, I'm a little bullish. I mean, I'm probably more bullish than I should be on a seventh round receiver. He was, he's a great athlete, very productive and a huge need. So for those reasons, I would give it an A plus. Will he make the team? Who knows? Will he Will he be a special teams contributor? Can he even do that? Like, I think that that's his path to making the roster is to prove that he can play on special teams. Otherwise, he's not going to be around. But if he can, you know, win the wide receiver four job, I think that's a huge win for him, for the Titans, and I'm okay with it. So A plus because they needed a receiver and they got one. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, like with a BB minus because it's – I'm factoring in that they didn't take one until now. Yeah. Um, what do I, the positive I'll say about here, what do I always say about uh, prospects? I've said more lately on, on the last few episodes, when you're scouting those small school guys, you want to know, and you want to watch how they performed against big teams, right? When they got that opportunity. So I'm sure that game against Tennessee caught a lot of eyes around the, the entire NFL. I'm sure the Titans for them, that was like a resume game, right? Okay. He played Tennessee and he had seven catches for 115 yards and a touchdown or whatever it was. So that's a resume game for him. 
He's big. He's athletic. You mentioned that he's strong. He's fast. You like that he checks all those boxes. So did Racy McMath, right? And we, we haven't seen that turn into much. So um, I, I will say him going into camp, if this receiver room is the way it is now, he probably at least gets a chance to compete for a role, right? And that's the best thing he could ask for. At that point, it's up to him to go earn it. If you're a Titans fan, you almost don't want that to happen because you hope they get another solution in here, like a more obvious, straightforward solution, not a, a, a potential project. So uh, I, I like the traits. I like that he had such a big game at ten, against Tennessee. And I do like that they picked a local guy, right? I always like when they take one. Of, they, and they always bring in a guy, it feels like, from Chattanooga or, you know what I mean, or, or a Tennessee Martin or a Vanderbilt and uh, things of that nature. So I do like that they, they took a guy that's local. You like the traits. Uh, you wish they addressed the position earlier. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, and the Titans also said they brought him in for their, you know, the local workout, the the local visit workout, and that he stood out as a guy that they thought looked like, you know, someone that could play in the league against the real competition. Like he he just popped to them physically to the eye, not necessarily the the metrics or the analytics or any of that, but that when they saw him competing against other guys, he stood out, and that's why they liked him. So I think that that's, you know, at least bodes a little well for his chances to compete in training camp and be a guy that we're seeing tweets about where it's like Malik Willis just completed a bomb to Colton Dowell, and it's like, yeah, he's running out there with the third team and Malik Willis, but he, he made a nice play. So that's, a, that's what I expect to see from him uh, when training camp gets here. All right, that is the draft class. We will get into the undrafted free agents and go through them one by one like we always do next week because we are we have taken up way too much time going through this class today um final grade overall for the class i'll go with a b minus that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) i knew it i knew i stole it right underneath your nose if it all works out it could be an a plus 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 you know if skaronsky is a 10-year starter on the o-line if will is a franchise quarterback if tajay spears gives you five to six good years as a running back if uh josh wiley is a, a starting tight end for 10 years like there's possibilities here, but if Will Levis flames out and is nothing and Skaronsky, you have to bump him inside to guard and he even struggles at guard and then, you know, Ty J Spears gets hurt and Jalen Duncan never amounts to anything, Colton Dowell never amounts to anything, like that's also a realistic outcome of this draft class and that would be very, you know, a big failure for Rand Carthon's first draft. But I think when you look at the overall themes, it was high athleticism, guys that they liked when they actually got a chance to talk to them and meet with them as people, not just as players and addressing, you know, not the needs, but taking the top player on their board. They said that every pick they, Mike Vrabel said every pick was easy. As in, you know, it got to our time to pick, and there was one player that stood out at the very top of our board as the guy that we knew we needed to take. And, you know, Rand Carthon mentioned there were some moments where they were a few picks away, and a guy they, they wanted was snatched out from under them, and he said it felt like a gut punch. But, um, at the, ultimately, when they got to their pick, they had a guy that they had very highly graded on their board and they just took the top guys on their boards. And I do think, you know, as much as there were some needs that they needed to address ultimately in the long run, this method, this strategy of drafting leads to better rosters down the line. And so I think the process is good. Even if it feels like they didn't address the needs that they, that we thought they should have, it's a good process. It's something to build on. And I'm 
optimistic about Rand Carthon's tenure as GM, the high athleticism guys, you need athletes in the NFL Titans have, you know, taken under John Robinson took far too many guys that were productive and looked cool, but weren't athletic, you know, like a, a Tajay Sharp, for example, if you're going to throw a dart on a day three receiver, take guy with, take a guy with huge athletic upside, which is what they did this year. So all the guys they have have huge, all the guys they took have huge athletic upside, which I think that's a big theme of this class. And ultimately I will give it a B minus as well, because it's really like hit or miss. There's no in between with this class. You know, Will Levis isn't just going to become like a high level backup and Peter Skaronsky isn't going to become like a swing guard. Like there's no middle ground for this class. It's either hit or bust. Yeah. The one point I'll add before we get out of here, because I wanted to say it earlier that I think I forgot, but you just sort of said it again. Uh, talk about filling needs. It, it can be dangerous to draft for need. Um, and the Titans didn't do that, as you said, because life comes at you really fast. The NFL, like you've got a need all of a sudden that you didn't know you had, or you didn't think you had. And it's the best way to stay proactive and stay ahead of the curve is, is to not only keep the cupboard stocked, even at positions where you feel good about, but to also accumulate talent, like you said, and, and draft best player available. It's, it's twofold. Of course, you'd like to address needs as well, right? If you can marry the two of them together, that's the ideal world you want to operate in. But I think back to when the Titans drafted Roger McCurry and everyone's like, oh my God, they took a cornerback. They have so many corners. They don't have any of that cornerback. And then literally a month into the season, we're like, oh my God, does this team have any cornerbacks? Yeah. Right? Like that's what I mean by life comes at you fast in the NFL and needs reveal themselves that you didn't know you had. And that was good foresight by John Robinson, right? Say so we've got an underrated need at corner. Heck, we thought they could take a corner this year at 11. You and I discussed, right? All of a sudden. So life comes at you fast in the NFL. You have needs where you don't know you had them. Hopefully some of those players players um, that they drafted uh, will marry that in between and will address some of those needs that maybe they didn't know they had. Yeah. And if you end up with two great players at the same position, you know, the NFL is a lot more active on the trade market today than it was five, 10 years ago. And the Titans could use the ability to recoup some draft capital. And we see the 49ers do that, whether it's, you know, trade out players before their uselessness come, usefulness comes to an end or, or uh, even make a trade to acquire like a Christian McCaffrey. Like if the Titans find themselves in a position during the season to trade for a big time receiver because they're better than we thought they were, but they need, they are one piece away. Like, you know, all these paths will unfold as they need to. And I think, when it comes to evaluating the draft right now, since we don't know how good any of these players will be, the ultimately the only thing we can really evaluate is the process. And so I think it was a good process and we'll see if it leads to good results. Um, all right. Anything else? Any final words before we close this thing down? That's all. It was a long episode, but it was necessary, right? We finally got a chance to recap their draft class and uh, I'm sure we'll be doing more of it in spurts in, in, in weeks to come. And we've got some UDFAs we'll talk about at some point as well. Yeah, next week we'll cover the UDFA class, um, you know, high upside guys and what they could bring and if, you know, their chances of actually sticking on the roster. So that'll be here next week. Until then, follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. Thanks for sticking with us through this long recap. And uh, thanks again to the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. Check them out. Tell them the Music City Audible sent you. That's it. We'll be back next week. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.